This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries. Eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, and welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories, episode 134. Hi guys. This is going to be a unique episode, to say the least, just because um, we're going to be talking about people who have died strange deaths that may be related to the paranormal. Yikes. And you know, anytime people talk about, oh, well, it's not like ghosts are going to hurt you or ghosts are going to kill you. Well, we may make you think twice about that by the time this show's over. So first of all, thanks to all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country we represent, because it means the world to all of us. Absolutely. Thank you for keeping us safe. We want to mention, um, of course, we do this every week, but it seems like something always happens. Um, and some of the stories we talk about tonight will deal in depression and possible suicides. And uh, so I always like to, it, it, those shows that tend to bring those subjects up, I, always, I like to beforehand make sure we let everybody know. Yeah, in a little more detail that if you're going through some tough times, if you're struggling uh, with life, if you just feel a little bit depressed, you don't have to be suicidal to use the suicide hotline. It's uh, They're there to make you feel better, and that's 1-800-275-8255. And if you're more of a texter, 741-741. But also our group. Our group has been... Um, exploding with people showing their gratitude for the amount of um, help that they've received just from the the nice comments and what have you. I mean, it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. You can feel free to talk about it. It's a safe zone. Isn't it wonderful? Yeah. It's, I just am so proud of you guys for that. I know we've got people to talk about. They're depressed. We've got people who are going through rough times and relationships and, and you name it, and it's on there. And everybody's just got literally 50 or 60 people coming to support them and make them mm-hmm. feel better. I bet we've gotten more emails this week on people saying that um, they've gotten a bit of inspiration or hope from either the show or the group whenever going through a rough time than what we've had in weeks in the past. Yep. It's just so uh, the message is getting out and that's what we want to do. If you've got friends that aren't listening to the show that you think would benefit just from the community, even if they're not into paranormal or whatever, get them to listen. Or if they don't want to listen to the show, get them to listen the group. Yeah, that'd be great. So whether they listen or not, we want everybody to be helped. Yes, absolutely. All right. So we're going to jump right into these stories. Keep in mind, uh, we also have 
the next installment of Hillbilly Horror House at the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. And before we jump into the story, I said we were going to do that. But we actually had a longtime listener. Um, I consider her a friend, even though we've never personally met, but we've talked so much through Internet. But uh, her name is Molly. She lived out in California, and she passed away uh, just a couple of weeks past her 40th birthday. She had a lot of health issues, and she has been on our very first Patreon episode. We did listener stories, and uh, Molly Frias was one of our guests. And it's funny, I was went back and listened to that interview, that I never use anybody's real name. Mm-hmm. I always ask what if they want to use a pseudonym yeah. or something, an anonymous name, but I actually used her real name on that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the only one we've ever done where I use yeah. a person's full name. But Molly was a sweetheart, and uh, like I said, she had uh, some diabetes problems, and, and she was... She was uh, about, I think, 75% blind from my understanding. And she used the show as a tool to um, keep motivated and and cheer her up when times were a little rough. And I know it got really tough for her uh, when she started having to use oxygen all the time. And like I said, she just, she was a first. She Mm -hmm. was the first email we ever received on the show. She was one of our very first patrons. She was one of our very first... Uh, people that we had on the show to talk about their story. She sent us a Christmas gift that we, uh, it was a couple of glasses, tall glasses that our names inscribed on them that we keep on our fireplace mantle. And um, she's going to be sorely missed. Yeah. Bless her heart. Yeah, and I'm going to miss you, sweetheart. I'm going to miss getting those little emails just yeah. asking how things are going and and all that. And then, you know, just sad that we never got a chance to meet in person right. because, you know, all but. Right. I'm going to, uh, a little bit later in the show, we're actually going to play that interview mm-hmm. that we did where she was telling her story. Yeah. Uh, back from that very first Patreon episode almost two years ago. Yeah. Rest in peace, Matt Angel. All right. Now let's jump into the story. Okay. The first story, we're going to tell three stories. And the very first one we're going to talk about, Ninja, can I tell the story? <laughs> The very first story we're going to talk about is a gentleman by the name of Christopher Case. So technically the case of Case. Ooh. All right. So Christopher Case, he grew up in Richmond, Virginia, and he became um, a local radio DJ. Nothing major. He just loved music. And he had obviously bigger aspirations, as, as most people do. And he took a job as a record executive with a company named Muzak, M-U-Z-A-K, in Seattle, Washington. So he moves out there. He was in his 30s. This was in the late 1980s when this took place. And Muzak was one of these companies that you may not know the name, but you'll know what they do. Mm-hmm. So they're the ones who take all these old like hits from the 70s and the 80s or whatever and turn it into elevator music. Oh, gosh. That's what they do, and that's what he became the executive of. Oh, so, man. So when you get, you know, step into an elevator or mm-hmm. you're in a supermarket and you just hear and you're like, I know that song. What is that? And you yeah. figured out it's an orchestra version of, uh-huh. you know, an Elton John song or yeah. something. That's what his company did. So by all accounts, Christopher was a mostly quiet guy, and he had a lot of friends either on both coasts because now he was, you know, from mm-hmm. the East Coast. He moved to the West Coast. But he kind of preferred to, like, sit at home and listen to music 
and relax rather than just go out on a night on the town and, and have a good time that way. He was also very health conscious. He was extremely uh, well fit. He exercised on a regular basis. He took a lot of vitamins and supplements. His health was something that was on the top of his list to always keep there. And that'll come into play later. He was not a religious person at all. He definitely did not believe in the paranormal. Mm-hmm. So probably wouldn't be a listener to our show. He's not our demographic. Yeah. On April 11th, 1991, Christopher went to San Francisco on a business trip. He met a woman there, and she was importing very rare music from Egypt. Now, this grabbed his attention because he loved Egyptian music. And he loved being able to just talk about music with somebody that was as interested as he was. So he asked the woman out to dinner. Nothing special, just... Yeah, just wanted to pick her brain a little bit. Yeah. So while they're at dinner, the woman made a few advances Mm -hmm. towards Christopher. And he just kind of politely brushed them off. He said the woman was attractive, but she was about 20 years older than him. Yeah. Now, after a few more advances, she just, I guess, bluntly said she wanted Christopher to take her home. So you can imagine what she wanted to do, and it probably wouldn't anything to do with Egyptian music. Oh, yeah. Unless maybe she wanted him to take a look at her asp. What? No? No. No. Anyways, Chris said no, and he pretty much put an end to the dinner. Well, she was so mad that she told Christopher that he would regret it. She said that she was a witch, and she was sorry to, she was going to be sorry because she was going to put a curse on him, and that would be the end of it. She said he would be dead within seven days. Oh, God. Wow, horrible. She took this personally, apparently. I guess so. <laughs> Jeez, let it go. So, I got a question, though. You you hear a story like this, and this witch, supposed witch, says she's going to put a spell on him, and he's going to be dead within seven days. Mm-hmm. If she's got the ability to do that... Why can't she have the ability to make him... Right. Yeah. I mean, what would you, well, called, you know? Uh, and it called, uh, what do you call that? Uh, Putting a spell? Hits. No, no, no. Free will. Oh, yeah, I guess. You can't control free will. Good answer. Thank you. So Christopher didn't believe in witches, but he did tell a friend of his named uh, Sammy, who lived in Fayetteville, North Carolina, about the incident, and they both kind of blew it off together. Mm-hmm. Well, Sunday, April 14th, now we're a couple of days past this, Christopher called Sammy again, and he'd known her for about 10 years, so he felt comfortable uh, talking to her. He had said that he had been up all night long hearing whispering voices, but he couldn't figure out where they were coming from. He mentioned that he saw shadows in his apartment, and he had a constant feeling of being watched. Mm-hmm. Tuesday, April 16th. Christopher walked into a Christian bookstore by the name of Evangel Incorporated. He started looking around a little bit. The owner, Rodney Higuchi, asked if he could help. And uh, Christopher says, yeah, I, I need to know where the crucifixes are. So Rodney shows him where the crucifixes are. And Christopher grabs a big handful of them. So Rodney asked what he needed all the crucifixes for. Christopher said that he was being attacked by supernatural forces, and he needed them for protection. He even asked if the crucifixes had been blessed with holy water. And then he asked for some books 
that would help with protection mm-hmm. against the evil forces, and, and Rodney sent him to a place yeah. where they would have that. Now, Rodney said at this point in time, Christopher looked to be in pretty good shape physically. Mm-hmm. He looked fine. He was frantic. Oh, yeah, and scared. paranoid yeah. and yeah, scared. Of but from a physical standpoint, he looked fine. Yeah. That night, he called Sammy again, and he told her that he had been attacked all night long. That whatever it was, was like holding him down and wouldn't let him get up. And it even cut the tips of all of his fingers. So he told her and another friend that he would wake up in the morning and his body, you know, the last, over the last couple of days, his body would be badly bruised. He didn't go to work for two days. And he scattered crosses all over his apartment. He poured piles of salt in every corner, and then he poured salt along every baseboard, windowsill, and door entry. Wow, he was really taking precautions. He had also written a bunch of, of little personal notes that were laying around the house about how to combat these evil spirits. He became so scared that night that he went and checked into a hotel. Oh, so he thought <laughs> if he moved somewhere else that she wouldn't bother him. I guess so. Now, Sammy tried to reach reach out to him, and but she was unable to do so after 3 p.m. that day. So now we're on Wednesday, April 17th. Christopher called Sammy, and she kind of got the feeling that he had come to grips with the fact that his death was looming. She said he told her, you know, I can die from this. He believed that the 17th would be his last day on earth. Oh, wow. That day, he visited a priest by the name of Jared Malahan. Now, Father Malahan said Christopher was disturbed, and he believed he was going to die. He asked for advice on fighting these evil spirits. He then went back to the Evangel Incorporated bookstore. Rodney, the owner, said this time that he looked exhausted. Christopher then went back to his house, actually apartment, where he put more salt on the inside and outside of the apartment. He also wrote more notes. At 8 p.m. that night, Sammy couldn't get a hold of him, and she called police to do a welfare check. A welfare check. Huh? A welfare check. You said welfare. It is a welfare check. You said welfare. Yeah, it's called a welfare check. No, it's a welfare check. Oh. Check on somebody's welfare. Oh. Sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) It rhymes, so I guess it don't matter. Either way. (laughs) So police came to the door, but it was locked. Now, they didn't force their way in because they didn't see anything out of the ordinary. Mm -hmm. Neighbors said that he seemed stable, and based on that, they just left. Now, late that night, Sammy noticed that she had a message on her her answering machine. Mm -hmm. It was from Christopher. She said he seemed eerily calm, and he said that... They had almost gotten him the night before, the night he went and spent at the hotel. Oh, darn. He couldn't escape. She said this would be the last time that she ever actually heard from Christopher. So at 3.30 on April 18th, which was seven days from the day that he had the dinner date with the young woman, she called for another welfare check at 3.38. Police showed up. This time, the apartment was unlocked. There were no signs of a struggle, but the place was a mess. 
Notes were everywhere about how to, you know, combat these evil forces. Salt was all along all the baseboards and doorways. Some soft religious music was now coming from several of the rooms. Crosses and books on the occult were everywhere. And more than 10 candles that had burnt all the way down. The only light that was on was the light in the bathroom. The police entered to find Christopher Case in the bathtub, fully dressed on his knees. His head was resting on the wall by the faucet. Police said it looked like he had fallen asleep while he was praying. He even still had his glasses on. He obviously was not asleep. He was dead at the age of 35. Wow. The actual cause of death was listed as acute myocarditis, or in layman terms, heart failure. So you have a 35-year-old in perfect health, exercised regularly, took vitamins, didn't smoke, drink, do any type of drugs. He encounters a woman who says she puts a curse on him. He'd be dead in seven days, and he was. I mean, you got somebody who's not religious at all, but suddenly they're grasping at any straws that they possibly could on crucifixes and books and notes and salt. And nobody is sure is, is sure at all of the identity of the woman because he never told anybody who it was. Mm-hmm. And he took that secret to the grave with him. Wow. And all he had to do was give up that booty. <laughs> what the well, I'm being, just saying, if he had given it up, then he would be alive today. Well, Unless he maybe. wasn't no good, then, maybe. you know, then she might have to put a spell on him. But So what do you think about that story? That's crazy. That is crazy. Now, let's let's talk a little bit about the, the heart problem. Do I have to? It's possible that, yes, he just died of a heart attack. Maybe he scared himself to death. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you look into uh, the problems that he had, he hadn't been to the doctor or anything that anybody knows of. So he he could have had a possible heart problem and just didn't know it. But even if that's the case, the timing on this thing is Yeah, the coincidence is too much. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's pretty wild. So that's the first story. The second story is extremely short, but just as weird. So, this is the story of John Edison Malachi. This is a story from the Filipino city of Talisay back in December of 2011. This incident has stumped authorities and investigators for years. So, John Edison, who was a 10-year-old, or I'm sorry, a 10-day-old baby at the time, was discovered bleeding from his mouth, nose, and navel uh, cavity was all swelled up with a mark on it that looked like it had been drained, like a puncture one. Oh, God. The heck? So before the baby was discovered, his grandfather, Virgil um, Abarquez, came to the home. It was He was getting ready to go fishing. It was 5 a.m., and he decides to stop in. First of all, you stop in my house at 5 a.m. on your way to go fishing, there's going to be an argument. <laughs> That's when the fish fight real good. Well, but, uh, fine. Go fishing. Don't stop by my house at 5 a.m. <laughs> so Virgil walks in the house, right? His daughter's house. And he sees blood kind of splattered and kind of strewn all over the kitchen. 
He immediately yelled for his 18-year-old daughter, Kimberly, who was the baby's mom. She was asleep, when, and her father's screams kind of woke her up. She comes in, and she also notices the blood marks scattered all over the floor and assumed it was from rats. Ooh. Kimberly went back into the bedroom because this is where the baby slept. The baby slept in the bed with, with her and her, uh, her husband. She saw the blood marks on the baby's face. Well, then she rushes the baby to Tallahassee City District Hospital, and unfortunately, he was declared dead on arrival. Aww. Now, John was a healthy baby, according to all the accounts, and he was due to be baptized the following month during a celebration of fiesta in the area. Kimberly would later tell a newspaper that she nor her husband noticed any type of movement or heard anything on the home or the rooftop that night. And why did I mention the rooftop? Yeah, that's random. Because Kimberly's aunt, who lives nearby, saw blood uh, like prints on top of their roof. You mean like feet prints? Just some kind of prints, marks Hmm. of some sort. But it was on top of a roof. And then the neighbors all said that they heard the, the sound of a bird that's known to the area. It looks like it's called a key kick. K-I-K-I-K. Now, authorities suspected foul play in the death of John Edison. The family and spiritual leaders, though, believed that it was the work of a supernatural creature. Part of the reason they believed this is because of the blood marks that were found on not only on the roof but also on the ceiling. Oh, hold on now. (laughs) The family and neighbors believed that it was some type of a shapeshifter. Oh, my gosh. How about that? No. Mm -mm. Well, I hate to hear that, but at least that little baby had no clue what was going on. You don't know that. You don't think so? He was only 10 days old. Well, I'm sure he can feel pain and everything. Oh, don't say that. But I mean, how did this? This happens in the bed, but I mean, there was a puncture wound, like in the oh navel, and it's like, but the baby was still in the bed. But what made all the marks all over the rest of the place? It had to be some kind of a bird or animal or something. So you think he like just trying to get its blood and suck his blood? I guess, and... but what could it be? Well, I mean, what kind of animal just comes in and gets in the bed and does all that while the parents are right there and they don't know? Uh-huh. Which is why the police suspected foul play. Really? Wow. They never got charged on anything like that, did they? Not that I know of. Whoa. (sighs) That'd be scurry. (laughs) Now, the last story here is interesting in its own right. This was a bigger name. Like, the other two we talked about were just, you know, they were regular people. Not that that makes it any less. But this was actually a big name on this next story. And a hard-pronounced name. Okay. This is the story of Gorof Dwari. Okay. And I'm sure I butchered that. But Gorof was the founder and CEO of the Indian Paranormal Society. He was a prolific paranormal investigator. He performed, get this, this is an outstanding number. He performed investigations in over 6,000 homes in his short career. Think oh, about that. Oh, that's so scary that that's so many people that have crap in their house. Well, the thing of it is, is, is over in India, and some of these weren't all done in India, but most of the majority of them were, over in India, it's like one of the most haunted places in the world, even though you never really hear about it. Mm-hmm. But if you talk to somebody from India, 
they're all about all the places there that are haunted. Mm. So he didn't start off being a paranormal investigator, of course. He started off wanting to be an actor from an early age. Mm-hmm. And he got, you know, did a little bit of acting and he got a few little bit parts and stuff and, and some shows and then just kind of dried up. So he decided to come to the U.S. He went to, came to Texas to go to school because he wanted to be a commercial airline pilot. Now, it was during his time in Texas going to school when he had his very first paranormal encounter. He saw an apparition of a young girl in his hotel room. And now this triggered something inside him to where he wanted to do this full time rather than become a commercial airline pilot. So he completed a a certified paranormal investigator course and he traveled across the United States and witnessed 80 different paranormal investigations. I guess kind of like a uh, apprentice type deal. Mm -hmm. Then he decided to come back home to, to, uh, to India and he set up the Indian Paranormal Society in 2009. His motto was, do not disrespect the dead. He was serious about that, and everybody who associated with him knew that was his thought process. Good. See, he wasn't one of these guys that, um, oh, my God, there's a sound, or every time I walk into a room, I'm possessed, Yeah, like some people we know. He basically wanted to disprove and debunk and use scientific facts to prove or disprove what was going on. Mm-hmm. So he didn't think every place was haunted. He felt like that... Um, 95% of the people who felt like there was a haunting, they were either hallucinating or yeah. something going on. Yeah, so that was the, that was just the approach them. that he had. Yeah. Good for him. The Indian Paranormal Society was very popular. Their office would routinely get 250 emails and 500 phone calls a day. That's a lot of phone calls. Yeah, and that's amazing. So Gorov would routinely get up and leave in the middle of the night and just go on investigations. This didn't sit well with his new wife. Oh, yeah. So it apparently was starting to cause some arguments and friction between the two because she wanted him to have a more normal job, a little nine-to-five deal. And he, on the other hand, liked what he was doing. He felt like he was accomplishing something. Mm -hmm. And the people were getting something out of it. So he felt like he was a help. To many people. Now, it's funny because we talked about his acting had dried up, which caused him to go uh, to the United States and learn to get to a different line of work. Now, this line of work that he was in was actually getting him more opportunities to get back on TV. Mm-hmm. He made it on several different shows, including MTV's Girls' Night Out, which doesn't sound like a paranormal show, but that's exactly what it was. It was a, a, a paranormal reality show called Girls' Night Out over in India, and... He apparently was able to get back into TV doing that. Now, he was also on uh, some shows called Haunted Weekends, Fear Files, uh, Haunting Australia was another big show that he was on, and that eventually ended up getting canceled. But you can see this did open up a lot more opportunities to get back on, on TV. So now we're going to jump to July 7th, 2016. It's 11 a.m. on a Thursday morning. Goroff had been out the night before till about 2 a.m., and uh, he was out investigating a house in West Delhi that supposedly had some evil entities in it. His wife, Araya, 
and his dad were downstairs, just sitting having a conversation. Goroff was up in the upstairs bathroom. Now, downstairs, the family hears a thud. Mm-hmm. It was almost like something had just dropped on the floor. Now, they start hearing the latch on the bathroom door, and it's, you know, like just making some noise and some rustling and stuff, but they didn't think anything of it. Now, apparently, doing a little bit of research, Indian door latches often become rusty, and they don't always work the first time you use them, so it's not unusual for that to be making noise and stuff. So that's why the family didn't think anything about it. An hour later, though, he hadn't come out of the bathroom, and there was no sound of water running or splashing or anything like that going on. So his wife went up there, she knocked on the door once, then she knocked twice, and then she knocked three times, and nothing. So she goes outside, and um, apparently, I don't know, it's the second floor, but apparently she goes outside and looks in the window somehow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she screams. Well, a neighbor then comes over, comes in the house, knocks the door in, and what do they find? India's most well-known ghost hunter was lying on the floor. His eyes was bulging out of his head. He was covered in sweat and gasping for breath. Now, what they didn't notice during all this commotion was a very thin black line that was on his throat. They rushed him to the hospital. Unfortunately, he passed away an hour and a half later. Doctors didn't even get a chance to put him on a ventilator. Oh, wow. The death was listed as death by asphyxiation. It was ruled a suicide. There was one small problem with this, though, to the family. You see, nothing was found in the bathroom or on him that he could have used to do this. Well, I mean, how in the world would they rule at that then? I don't know. There was nothing at all that could have caused the black line on his throat. Now, this black line is something that Goroff had talked about in the past as far as paranormal was concerned. He would often bring up the fact of, like in the movie The Omen, it had a bunch of examples in it where, like, the photographer would find black lines in the pictures he developed and uh, and the priests and stuff like that that would eventually show some type of an ominous death. Mm-hmm. If you remember that, they had, like, the, yeah. you know, all those different situations. Now, Goroff would often say that black marks, like the one found on his neck and his throat, were signs of revenge of spirits in distress. Wow. So this is something he had so spoken he had to- Oh, so he had yeah, talked he had about that Yeah, he had spoken about this in the past. His family believed what he said sometimes, but mostly they ignored his paranormal talks because they just wouldn't into it. Yeah. Now, as far as suicide, his family said that he seemed to be a very happy in pretty much all aspects of his life, we mentioned that he was recently married. He had just gotten married back in January. This was July. Mm-hmm. And suicide just was completely out of his character. His father, Uday Tuare, said that Goroff told his wife about a month before this, this incident that a negative force was pulling him towards it. He said that he was trying to control it, but he seemed unable to do so. His wife ignored it, thinking it was just stress from, you know, work overload. They've been married for, like I said, about seven months at the time of his death. Now, in a, I guess, a turn of events, we'll say, police started investigating this as a possible murder. 
Why? Because what we talked about earlier, there really wasn't anything in there that he could have killed himself with. Yeah. Police believe that there was some friction between uh, Goroff and his wife. And apparently there was a two-hour argument the night before his death, After right after he got back from the investigation, they got into it. Mm-hmm. Also, according to family members, he had his last meal at 6 a.m. this morning. Remember, this happened after 11 a.m. Mm-hmm. He had his last meal around 6 a.m., but the autopsy showed that his food had not digested at all, which would have led to believe that that timeline was off. Mm-hmm. Police also found a phone that uh, Goroff had been using that had a, a, a SIM card in it that had been completely erased. Whoa. wonder what he had for breakfast. I have no idea. wonder what his last meal was. I have no idea. Hmm. Indian food? Surely not. Well, he was, lives in India. Well, true, I guess. So anything he would have eaten over there would have been Indian food. Well, that's true. Police said that they had found enough info from friends and family that said that his wife suspected Gorov of cheating on her. So on top of that, his family and her hated the fact that he was a paranormal investigator. Because apparently, even though he was super busy, it wasn't bringing in much money. Uh-huh, and they yeah. kind of felt it to be a little shameful. Hmm. So his father said that his son told him that he felt quite uncomfortable for quite some time. He said, I'm being followed. I'm being watched by someone who refuses to leave me alone. You know, that has to be hard being that's what you love to do, but you don't have any support behind you or anybody that believes a thing that you're saying. I mean, he's he just had to be extra lonely, you know? So what do you think about that story i mean do you think that there's something just as simple as maybe his wife and even dad maybe even conspired to do this that would be a terrible thing if that was the case they the police interviewers interviewed interviewed the dad and his wife for eight hours Mm -hmm. so they obviously felt that way now to the best of my knowledge now this was two years ago um, two and a half years ago, to the best of my knowledge, there's never been any charges or anything mm-hmm. brought against them. So yeah. I guess they didn't have enough evidence. But I also don't see how somebody can die of asphyxiation mm-hmm. and have a black line on their throat, but there was nothing in the room that could have done that yeah. and be ruled a suicide. Right. So they didn't find any kind of drugs nope. in the system? Nope. Nothing. No, nothing. nothing. So, yeah, I don't know how they could say that. That's, I don't know. And apparently this happened right after he ate. Mm-hmm. But while, I mean, I don't know what the family would lie about when he ate. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to say he ate at 6 and this happened after 11 and hadn't even been digested at all means he had to eat before then. What, what are they trying to cover up? Mm-hmm. And that's what the police felt like. They felt like there's a lot of stuff being covered up. Yeah. So we've got three stories that we've talked about, all with involving a death. All under suspicious circumstances. And I'm sure, except for the baby situation, I'm sure they can all be explained away. Yeah. Yeah. That, as, ba- that, that, one's, baby that one was one's just a strange case. Yeah. That all was the way really around. bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. But, I don't know why. I mean, she shouldn't really. I don't know why she thought he was cheating. Well, I mean, I don't know the whole story there either. There could have been, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, the fact that he just gets up and leaves in the middle of the night. Mm, well, I mean, I can kind of see that, but they were, nah, I don't And know. I think, too, and I didn't really cover it on here, but 
there was a young lady also that the police wanted to talk to that was a friend of his. So mm-hmm. that there's probably more to that. Yeah. At least as far as his wife thought. I mean, that probably led into the that part. If they were hanging out together during all these investigations and stuff, that mm-hmm. might have been what brought mm-hmm. that up. Well, that's so, a shame. Do you think that it's possible for something in the supernatural to lead to your death? Or do you think these are just all weird coincidences? That's a lot of weird coincidences. I mean, I I don't know. I could kind of kind of see that that maybe something paranormal has something to do with it or you know that your mind is just so freaked out about stuff and somehow it causes you like that one guy. He was so paranoid and scared and everything, you know, he might have went into like a panic attack and then I mean it could be a number of things. I can see that happening if you're that scared of what's going to happen to you, but I think it's weird that she said in seven days you'll be dead, and in seven days he was. But that could just be the power of suggestion. That True. could be. Now, I do find it odd that somebody who doesn't believe in witches, they don't believe they're not spiritual, they don't believe in any of that, wow, this, how, how that got to him, because it just seemed like he didn't have no problem blowing it off. Mm-hmm. So why all of a sudden did he become so, what did he see or feel that got him so concerned mm-hmm. and so out of character? Mm. So Sashi Dubey, who's a practitioner of the occult in Delhi, said that sometimes spirits leave negative impact in your home if they're disturbed. Too much interaction with spirits can always have its side effects. And I don't know if you knew this or not, but in the United States, one-third of all Americans claim to have had experience and encounter with a spirit, a ghost, or the undead. How many? How many? One-third? One-third? Wow. 33%. Wow. I mean, you know, I don't know. There's just, You can't really say a thing about it because you've never experienced it. So I think if they said they experienced it, then they did. I agree. Yeah. So that's pretty much uh, that. And I'm sure we'll come up with a few more of these to maybe do on the mm-hmm. Patreon episodes. Those next are very week, interesting but. and scary at the same time. Yeah, because it, it's an eye opener. Mm-hmm. It kind of leads you, because you know, you hear people always, oh, it's a ghost, but they don't ever mm-hmm. kill anybody or they don't do. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they do, maybe they don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it don't have to be like a straight out in your face, oh, I just saw you kill that person. Right. Yeah. So, anyways. Like I said, we touched on earlier um, that I wanted to play the the clip that we had from uh, mm-hmm. Molly Frias back from a couple of years ago. Just a little tribute to her and be able to hear her voice one last time and um, tell a little of the story. Now, I, I will tell you this. <laughs> this is, like I said, goes back, and it's not this when we first started doing yeah, this thing. Yeah. So it's not uh, the smoothest uh, interview by any means, but mm-hmm. I wanted to go ahead and play as much of it as we could, even yeah. though it's probably needs to be edited up a little bit. But nah, I just wanted just to leave do it, it the like way it, that is. it was. So Love you, Molly. Let's give a listen to Molly for us. So this next young lady we're going to hear from, her name is Molly. She's out in uh, in California, uh, Los Angeles, if I remember correctly. She is very sweet, very and sweet. she. She's one of the people that when we first started to show up, she started emailing almost uh, immediately. She she told us a story that we told on the on the show one time before. Uh, we used a very bad Mexican accent, 
and tell the story. And it's uh, it's actually it was a show that all three of us were on. You, uh, you, me, and oh Ricky. yeah, me and Ricky, uh huh. <clears throat> and you know, but as I've gotten to know her, uh, she's actually got uh, uh, she's lost some of her sight and uh, due to some diabetes and stuff like that, so she can no longer work. And she really likes the fact that we do the pod- podcast because she said it helps her get through some of her daily struggles. And we really appreciate the oh fact gosh, that, that cool. she feels like that about us. So I definitely wanted to have her on this show. And uh, I think when you hear this story, uh, if anything you're going to hear tonight, this one will definitely blow your mind. Mm-hmm. So please welcome Molly. Frias welcome, Molly. From Los Angeles, California. Hi, right, welcome back. We have uh, another listener on the phone to tell us their story. Uh, this is a listener that is uh, also a, a, a patron, so she supports the show as well. So we appreciate you having on. This is Molly Frias, and uh, we've been talking for several months now molly reached out to us uh via email uh back i think even back when ricky was still hosting the show so it's been a long time welcome to the show molly hi thank you thanks for having me excited to be on hey molly good to have you honey hi tracy good to see you well hear you and talk to you guys thank you hon so You've been interested in the paranormal for a long time. I know you've got, uh, I've read a bunch of your stories that you've sent us. We've read a couple on the air. And then uh, you're going to tell us some, some another story tonight that you told us a little bit about. And it's it's a, a fascinating story dealing with uh, uh, one of your sister's friends. So why don't you tell us a little bit about this story and, and what you found, how it kind of triggered your fascination with the paranormal? Sure. I, you know, it's really creepy <laughs> so um it started um we moved here in the 80s you know just to better our life i guess as many people do so um my family and i um we moved in together in downtown la um and my sister you know she being super you know she likes to help people out she brought her friend over from mexico um to help her, you know, achieve a better life. So she brought her over, and my mom was a working mom, going to school at night to better her her um, life and our life. My sister was also working. So her friend, um, let's call her Angie, my sister's friend Angie, she um, would take care of me. <clears throat> and um, I was about seven, seven years old, in third, like second or third grade. And, um, you know, I grew very attached to her. We would play together. She was around 17 or 18, around my sister's age. And um, I grew very attached to her. You know, I would either sleep with her in in her bed or sleep with my sister in her bed. And I would just alternate. So it was within a couple of weeks that she was here living with us that um, things started getting a little bit weird. You know, little things started happening. Um, in the middle of the night, Angie would just sit up in bed and she would start um, turning her head around once from side to side and just moaning and grunting. And, you know, I would wake up and I would look at her and then I would see my sister on the other side of the room just kneeling down by her bed praying and I'm like, what is going on? And my sister would be like, just come here, come here, you know, just get on my bed and, you know, go to sleep. It's a bad dream. It's a bad dream. And I would be like, okay. 
I would just fall back to sleep and my sister could continue to pray. So um, maybe a couple of days later, the same thing happened again. But this time I was asleep on my, with my sister on her bed. And um, her friend Angie again, she um, sat up in bed and she was just turning her head again. Um, back and forth, and there was a horrible smell in the room. So my sister was already up. She was already praying, and um, we see a bunch of, um, like, those big water bugs, the big roaches um, just going onto, onto um, Angie's bed and crawling all over her. And She was not even waking up. She was just turning her head and, like, a scene from The Exorcist, just turning her head from side to side and moaning and grunting. And my sister ran to the light, turned on the light, and the roaches were gone. So it was like... Oh, my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) So nothing was there. So my sister started getting freaked out. She was... um, uh, She was a Baptist church. She goes to Baptist church. So she called her group over and she said, you know what, I think something's going on with Angie. Um, she's very, she's acting weird. Um, she's been, um, you know, waking up at night and just, you know, making weird sounds. So, you know, the, the people from her church just advised her, well, take her to, you know, take her to, our, to the church and on a Friday service. Um, and so my sister did. Um, and my mom was working late, so my sister decided to take me to church also on, you know, on a Friday night. So, you know, typical seven-year-old, I was just bored, laying on the <laughs> on the chairs, you know, and I was sitting next to Angie. My sister was a deacon at the time, so she was helping other people sit out at the church. So um, the service started. The pastor was up there on the altar starting his sermon. And then all of a sudden, um, Angie gets up on the chair and she jumps from where we are sitting, maybe six rows of chairs. She jumps across all those six rows. She goes to the middle of the, um, of the, um, altar and she starts like laughing and there's most maniacal, diabolical voice ever and she just starts laughing and um, raising up her dress like provocatively and like rubbing her hands like all over her body and um, the pastor like stops dead in his tracks and he like turns around and starts like asking her like who are you like you know who are you you know what what do you want and she just starts laughing like ah ha ha you know ha and um there was like foam coming out of her mouth and the pastor again, he's like, who are you in the name of Jesus Christ? Who are you? And um, then she just starts laughing again and she just replies, I am Satan. And then everybody the in church hell? is like, yes. <laughs> everybody, oh I'm like, I'm like, uh, yeah, I get, I'm like, I'm sitting up straight on my chair and I'm like, what? what is going on? And I'm like looking interested, like what? And um, she's like, she, they, and then you just see maybe like three, three or four people. 
like run to her and like grab her and try to put her down on the floor and she's like kicking and screaming and there was there was this one lady that um she was maybe like 300 pounds my sister's friend was probably 105 pounds at the most and her the other lady and two other men and another lady tried to hold my sister's friend on and they couldn't they were they couldn't she was fighting like there was so much force in her and then another person screams, you know, la niña, la niña, which means the little girl, the little girl, which is me, because I was the only little girl at church at that time. <laughs> so everybody just like, you know, take her out, take her out. So I, somebody comes to me and they tell me, oh, you need to, you know, like come outside. And I'm like, why? I want to see what's going on. Like, you know, <laughs> so they take me outside. They take her, they take Angie into a little room where they start. I'm guessing they start like a, you know, cleansing or liberation. Or I don't know what you might call it. Um, and um, they take her, but, and then my sister takes me home. So her friend comes home. The um, Maybe after a few hours of that, you know, service, she comes home and I was obviously like, terrified like no I'm not you know I'm not sleeping with you anymore like I don't know what is going on I'm not sleeping with you anymore so um the pastor advises like um for for them to take her to another retreat which which was happening uh a spiritual retreat in I think Big Bear I'm not really sure um somewhere in the woods so they take her for a spiritual retreat my sister went Again, like a lot of church family went, a lot of church members went, and um, they did a liberation again there, but she ran off into the woods, and she they couldn't liberate her. Next thing we know, she ends up um, at the house, and my sister, you know, she got her things, and she left, and we don't know if she ever got you know, liberated or not. And, um, you know, maybe in 2001 or two, I was teaching at a, at the same church. I was teaching, um, kindergarten and, um, I, I was on my way out. I picked up my niece that was in another class and then coming towards me was Angie. And she looked at me and I saw her and oh my God, her eyes, they were like jet black. And I just got just shivers down my spine. And I'm like, oh my God, I just told my niece, I go, hurry up. I go, let's get out of here. I don't know if she ever got saved or not, but that's the story. (laughs) Oh God, that is so scary. You know, the one thing I got out of that is if that happened, at a church that I know about, the next week the wives would have no trouble getting their husbands to go to church. Right. <laughs> they would show, they would show up just right. to see the show. Oh my lord! I cannot even. They're like no football on Sunday. Oh, now uh-uh. you go to church. Oh my gosh! <laughs> well, that that's an uh, that's got to be one of the most unique stories we've oh, heard. Yes, absolutely. You you would have had to been so brave to want to go back in that church or stay in that church. I wouldn't have. Oh, every time I would go in there because we had a, 
when I used to teach there, I had um, we had um, service with the kids there every Wednesday. And every time I would step in there, I was like, okay, this one happened to me. Like, <laughs> and my favorite, like my scary, my favorite scary movie is The Exorcist. So I was like, this is happening like real life right in front of my face. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> mm. But Ooh, I just don't even know how I would react to 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 see something like that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, I've never seen anything close yeah. to that. No. Mm-mm. I mean, what? I look pretty scary when I wake up in the morning, but I don't even think it's to that level. But. <laughs> oh no, Molly. Let I'm me. Sure, ask, you're not. Let me ask you a question real quick. You're you're an avid listener to the show. What's your favorite episode so far? Oh my goodness to pick one um probably um (laughs) yeah (laughs) probably oh my god there's so many i love the rock and roll ones i love the the hh home one um i love the the one you just did about the um the indiana house oh yeah loretta i'm not sure her name but just fascinated with everything. Like I'm a huge music fan as well, so especially rock music. So I was blown away with everything that you said. Ballester Crowley stuff is really like I, now I understand. Like now I'm like, oh, okay, now I know what Black Sabbath or Ozzy are talking about. <laughs> yeah, you, I mean seriously, when you listen to the words now. It's like, yeah. oh my gosh. Well, I said pick one and you named 27. But oh, either way. yay. That's, but that's, I'll take that's, it. That's a good thing. I mean, if. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I, I have a hard time picking my favorite. I always end up saying about five or six of them. So I just did that earlier. Somebody yeah. asked me, um, somebody that's going to help us do some research asked what uh, my favorite show was. And I think I named like five of them. So I <laughs> I started rambling myself, so. But H.H. H. Holmes yeah. was one of them, and the Aleister Crowley and the rock and roll ones were all part of what once I mentioned, so. We're on the same yeah. page. <laughs> well, darling, we greatly appreciate you being a listener and a patron, and we appreciate you coming on the show and sharing with us. Oh, no, you know, I, like I told you guys, you know, before in the emails, I think you guys are one, you know, one of the best podcasts Um you guys are, are like family. Like listening to you isn't like you know a typical just um, researched podcast. It's more of a my you know just friends sitting around the table with you know some beers or wine, just talking about scary stuff, yeah. which is what I pretty much do here with my family and friends all the time. <laughs> so I love it. Well, keep the stories coming, and uh, I'm sure we'll have you on again sometime. Yeah, we're honored to have you as a listener and as a new great friend. We love it. Oh no, I you know me too. My you know my number is there anytime you guys need it. You Definitely, know? I appreciate it. Thank you. You're T- welcome. Tell everybody in LA we said hi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> in- individually. Yes, I will. <laughs> All right, babe. Thank you so much. All right, love you. Take care now. Okay. Thank you. All right, honey. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye bye. So that was Molly's interview. I know that was uh, a tad bit long. And like I said, this was back a couple of years ago. We didn't exactly have our editing skills down. And I, I, I sat down a few times to try to edit this. And as I did, I just found myself just finding it odd to cut anything out of All it. All right. It just, That's, I think it was a good choice. It just seemed disrespectful. So yeah. hope you guys uh, we're, we're fine with bearing with that. Yeah. 
We also wanted to uh, uh, mention a listener who had had his, his father pass away this morning, Joe Rogers. We just wanted to tell you that our thoughts and prayers are with you and your family. Absolutely, honey. We're thinking about you. Well, it's not exactly an easy transition, but this is the time where we do the uh, iTunes and the Patreon. So, Tracy, if you'd like to do the uh, iTunes reviews for last week. All righty. We have Trucker Kyle, Alaskar19981, Jimbo in Idaho, Peach is Me, October8998, which is Nick Sneed, Frogman the Loveland, <laughs> Wyatt and Charity, Timmy Fishboy, Alf Frederick, Cody Harlow 1, Twin Girl Mama, Listener 9999, and Laura 2741. Nice. Thank you guys so, so much. Perfect reviews and just made us feel all great inside, except for one, but that's okay. Well, and, and while we're on that subject, I know some shows, uh, and this is not knocking against those, but I hear shows out there that, you know, they give away, you know, prizes or whatever. Hey, if you give us a five-star review, we'll do this so that we give everybody a shout-out. So it, it, oh, no matter yeah, what the review definitely. is you give us, good, bad, we're, you, you still get a shout-out. Yeah, because so we no, love you all so much and, and just grateful y'all take the time out to do it we just love you no stipulations at all heck no thank you for those great reviews and then we have some patreons this week terry garcia Dwayne franklin hillary o'shields jerry taylor and nick sneed you guys rocks thank you so much we appreciate you more than you know yep nick's in the process of uh starting his own podcast. I know, Nick. You go, honey. You got this. So it's going to be a little bit before that comes out. Yes, yes. The Patreon episode comes out, um, this is Sunday when you guys are hearing this, or depending on when you listen to it, but Mm -hmm. the Patreon episode will be out on the 1st. We've got some really good listener stories. Yes, we do. Oh my gosh, they're so good. Yeah. I'm excited for you guys. So we've got, well, I'd say two. It's actually three stories because well, yeah. one of them was a husband and wife duo who are Mm -hmm. also starting their own podcast. I know. Isn't that amazing? And uh, so... So I think you'll really enjoy Kate and James's uh, stories that they tell. Yes, James James's story was one that kind of threw me for a loop because it was something I hadn't heard. And I thought we thought about it all day today. Yeah, and, and was just talking about it and and thought think we, maybe we came up with a solution. You know, it's it still happened, but we think we know how it happened. So yeah, pretty cool. That was very cool. Very um, and then Sam came on and told uh-huh. us his story. So yeah, yeah. it's a couple of good ones. And then we've got I think three that were written into us. And I've got a cool story that happened just in 1980. It's a mysterious death that could involve aliens. It could involve um, maybe just an angry relative. It could just be a There's all kinds of cool stuff in this story. Nice. So, yeah, if you're a Patreon supporter at the $3 level, you get that story on the first. And uh, I just want to say one thing. Uh, I want to thank you guys for your love and support again. I had another artery stented and it went really good so i don't think i have any more arteries to go hopefully not i feel like they've all been done but i just wanted to say thank you guys for your prayers and support it really really helped me and um, helped me get through that again yes we're very glad that that you made it through thank you honey the show wouldn't be the same without you oh you're sweet i'd still do it i know you would i might take a week off (laughs) 
<laughs> just maybe a week. Well, I'm, I'm surprised about that. It depends on when it would happen. I mean, it's like it's the beginning of the week, possibly not. Well, you know, you could get Kristen in here to yeah, do it because nobody would never, never know the difference. Uh-uh. It, it could be a facade to go on for years, <laughs> like Paul McCartney did. Oh, no. So. Don't ever say that. <laughs> but yeah, well, Paul McCartney's not dead. I know this. Anyways. Thank gosh. <laughs> All right, so that's everything we got. I do kind of big news, I guess I should say. The Houston show, the second Houston show, has officially sold out. Oh, my gosh. You all are just, <laughs> I, I'm just mind blown by that. I mean, it's just so awesome. And we can't wait to meet you guys. We're so excited. We're just literally counting down the days. Then how many days is left? A bunch. <laughs> So, a bunch. So Too many. I wish it was. I, I wish you weren't a liar. Ooh. <laughs> I wish it was next week. So anyway, we're excited. So then, uh, like I said, we got a bunch of other shows. Louisville Show, Indianapolis, uh, Point Pleasant, um, Bobby Mackey's. All those are on the verge of selling Kansas. out. Kansas. Mm-hmm. Atchison, Kansas. So all those are on the verge of selling out. So if you want tickets, don't miss out. Like a lot of people. I've got people already writing me today. Oh, I'm going to get tickets for the Houston show. No, you ain't. <laughs> No. You snooze, you lose. I wish you could, but I, there's only, only so many seats, and we've now booked that entire day. Oh. Hey, we should all get a meeting place and just meet and eat some barbecue or something. Hang out. Okay, we'll be eating two meals that day. Oh, gosh. And it's going to be Mexican. Oh, yum. So they're going to have down a for Mexican that. buffet. So Great. Really that cool. sounds delicious. All right, guys, that's what we got. We're going to end the show tonight with the latest edition of Hillbilly Horror House. Yeah, I hope you guys are enjoying that, and have a blessed week. We love you all. Yep, give it a listen and keep giving us some feedback. That's how the show gets better. Thanks. Hi, and welcome to Hillbilly Horror House. We have put a lot of work into making this podcast a sound fest for your ears. In order to get the full effect, we highly recommend the use of headphones. Hillbilly Horror House. Happy wife, one of two. Wow. It looks just like the house in my dreams. Yeah. Come on, let's get a closer look. Yeah, let's not. That's not a really good And Never mind. Amber, wait. Wow, look at her. She's beautiful. You, you have got to stop doing that. I'm going to run 12 miles like you do a day. Oh, my God. Hmm. Maybe you should, Pillsbury. Yeah. Whatever, freak. Let's get a close-up look. Amber, no. This is close enough. Someone might live here. (laughs) Really, David? Look at this place. No one's lived here in a very long time. Come on, Amber. It's starting to get dark and... Ah, these 
bloodsuckers you call mosquitoes are starting to come out. I'm going. You can stay here if you want to, scaredy cat. I'm not scared. I'm just cautious. Look how old that wood is. You're probably just break right <laughs> through. You okay? Yeah, I'm all good. Oh, crap. Amber! I don't see any cuts or scratches. Amber! Oh, God, I hope there aren't any snakes in there. <sighs> Amber! Mm, yeah, babe, what's up? Don't move. Okay, why? Oh, God, don't tell me you see a snake. We're being watched. Oh, crap. Where? Up there. In the attic window. I want to see. I want to talk to them. Of course you do, but no. But I want to talk to them. No. But don't turn around. Hello? Can you hear me? Could I please talk to you about your house? Amber, don't. Hello? Can you hear me? Amber, whatever you do, do not turn around. David. David, talk to me. David, wait. If you shush me one more time, I swear, David, I will throw your ass... Listen. I don't hear anything. There. Did you hear that? No, David, I didn't. You don't hear that? Hold on. Let me walk over to you. Amber, just leave the cat alone. Hey, kitty kitty. <laughs> hey, scary cat. Look, there's no handle on the door. So? So, there's a breeze out here. That's probably what opened the door. <sighs> yeah, probably. Can we go now? <sighs> yes, we can go now. Bye, Mr. Kitty. Come on, babe, let's go. Do you think it's for sale? What, the house? No, the cat. Of course the house. Why would you want to buy that death trap? I don't know. It's haunted my dreams for weeks now, David. God, I can't believe we found it. <laughs> if it's for sale, uh, it's going to take a lot of work. Mm, maybe not. We haven't seen the inside yet. If it's anything like the outside, yeah, I, I don't want to see it. Can you at least check to see if it's for sale? Please? Fine. I'll call the realtor tomorrow. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. And when you do, could you please tell Tracy hi for me? I will. 
David? Yeah? You said someone was watching us from the attack window? Yeah, yeah, I did. But don't worry. You know, it, it was getting dark, and there's a lot of trees, and... Uh, it was probably just a tree reflection, you know? Your chariot awaits, my dear. Well, thank you, kind sir. By the way, David. Yeah? Nice manly scream back there. <laughs> you screamed like a girl. <laughs> no, I think you heard it wrong. <laughs> no, no. Pretty sure you scream like a girl. <laughs> Whatever, freak. I think I saw a little wet spot on your jeans, too. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Hillbilly Horror Stories, and that is it for this week's story. Man, was that scary. Oh, shut up, Jerry. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Writing, production, and editing done by Tim Mullins. Amber is played by Natasha Alley. David is played by Tim Mullins. The Ghost Lady is played by Rebecca Mullins. Narrating by me, Dana Gleason.